welcome back to the Mad About Movies VIP Club. Now here's one of your hosts, Kent, Brian, or Richard. Welcome in to the Mad About Movies VIP Lounge, Bar, Grill, MJ Designs, and what do we got this week, Richard? We have a do-it-yourself car wash. Do-it-yourself? Oh, quarter. Yeah, we we provide the water and the soap. Um, and the six topless women, and you just wash the car yourself. <laughs> it's an you, '80s style. It's like a kind of an '80s music video mm-hmm. style car wash. Mm-hmm. And our our change machine never works, by the way. So you have to bring <laughs> your own orders. Mm-hmm. One time, I won't say his name, and we're out I'll, of soap. Uh, it's just water. You're paying for water. His name was Baramy Bamsel. I'll rhyme it, Kent, so you can do the math on that. <laughs> But one time we lured a kid from high school to one of those car washes near the house because we told him we we're going to Seven Eleven, and then we washed him in the car wash because he smelled really bad. Because he, he was in the in the back of the truck. No, he walked and he just stunk. Oh, so we <laughs> lured him in there. Oh, we walked cool. him in there and held him. You, and like, wa- you pulled the old, hey, hop in the back of the truck. We'll run up to Seven Eleven nope. and grab a We sudsed him. We sudsed him up because he was real stinky, and he, mm-hmm. we don't think his bathing was regular. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we bathed him. <laughs> Me and B Cat and a few a few others. You hosed him down. We hosed, literally hosed him down. Like the uh, God pulp fiction back yeah. backyard scene. Yep. Yeah. Oh, we wolf. were just he was a nice kid. He was always around us and he always stunk. And we just were like, you know what? We're yeah. gonna take matters in our own hands here. It's gonna cost a quarter. And we just pinned him and <laughs> There's always one smelly kid. Yeah, exactly. Oh yes. And we everyone wants favor, I think. Yeah. Everyone whines about it, but no one's willing to do something about it. And right. you know, we were willing You're to invest. Action. Yeah, we were willing to yeah, invest fifty cents. Years of grime that you pressure washed away. Yeah, that was just lingering there. That, that no one, no one fully clothed. Fully clothed, by the way, I should mention. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking to, about all the clothes too. Yeah. When I was in high um, school, speaking of the smelly kid, this is a weird start to this episode. Uh, but when I was in high school, went on a, a mission trip to Honduras with mm-hmm. uh, with mm-hmm. a group of of folks and. There was one guy, same thing, Richard, nice guy, uh, enjoyed his presence, except yeah. he, he smelled terrible. And uh, You met Vince Vaughn in Honduras? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, is where the, this is where the Smells Bad All-Stars started. Uh, but no, like, <laughs> he owns eight speaker cities, what? He's got yeah. more electronics up there do? than a GD Kiss concert. Do? Yeah, it's like He even has time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, nice guy, just just smelled pretty rank and, and got worse because we were in Honduras, like, yeah, building houses and stuff. It's Man, humid. It really yeah, rough. that's really a rough. Jurassic Park type climate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then at one point, I mean, we're like four or five days into this thing, and uh, I, I would, I don't think he had bathed yet. I would, I would hazard to guess. And the, uh, the adult who was, who was sort of chaperoning this trip, he came into the, the, the barracks. I guess. You call it, <laughs> yeah, the came, into, came into the barracks and was yeah. like, uh, he was <laughs> he, like. Mr. Yeah. Paul Giamatti, come with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come over here. He, he tried to. He All tried right, to Ashanti, nice let's thing. get you over here. He, yeah, yeah. He tried to do the nice thing, and he he's you know he sits us all down, and he says, "Boys, the uh, the girls have been complaining that some of you don't smell great." I mean, he did like the nicest thing you could possibly do. Like he let this kid off the hook so hard. Of like, I'm going to address the whole room, but clearly everyone in the room knows that I'm talking to this one kid. And, uh, all right, we good? All right, so shower up. Okay, like, let's get clean. This is, we don't, you know, it's a hygiene issue at this point. All right, cool. And he leaves the room, and we're all kind of, like, mm-hmm, quiet nodding to ourselves, like, all right, that was a great way to handle it. He'll he'll get it now. And this kid goes, <laughs> who, who is he talking about? <laughs> Who's not taking a shower? And it was like, oh, oh no, he didn't he didn't get it. We're going to have to be more direct now. And uh, and it got uh, worse from there. But uh, there's always yeah. one, yeah. Every time you go one. on any any one. church in a, camp trip, in, there's one kid that's not going to shower. Uh-huh. In a in a yeah. macro sense, Kent, my I don't know if they ch- you're you're younger than me. They may have changed it, but uh, Kent and I went to a uh, a religious school, which was lovely and all that stuff. But in middle school, when you're at your most sort of you know hormonal and all that, there was we had a chapel, which is like. An informal sort of, you know, basically a school assembly at the end of the day every day they would have chapel. So that was like seventh period was chapel. But sixth period for the sixth graders, like when you're the most awkward, like you haven't really figured your stuff out yet, for us was PE. And there was no like shower situation or anything. You're in PE. You're not in athletics yet, which starts in seventh grade. So 
they would make us all go work out, run like two miles, whatever, and then bring us to chapel, and then and then yell at us for smelling. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, yeah, we just worked out. It's like we had we had fifteen minutes <laughs> yeah. to get over here. Right. Yeah, like so, yeah, we all stink. By the way, yeah. half of us are girls who all have eating disorders now because you're yelling right. at them. Yeah. Like we can't yeah, help this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe put uh, chapel first. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Try that. exactly. Try that out. We'll go work out. Then we'll go thing. home. Yeah. Guarantee you, we'll shower as soon as we get home. <laughs> but yeah, we all smell. They'd be like, "Well, the sixth graders over here, stinky sixth graders." Like, <laughs> yeah, we do. We uh, all smell. Yeah. Yeah, the we, whole thing of having rough anyway, even if we hadn't just had it, like, <laughs> this is the worst smelling group of kids ever. So the whole thing yeah. of of having <laughs> PE or athletics football practice before school was bad too. Yeah, that's you always still, mm-hmm. still smell. but at least they had the there was ostensibly a shower that you could mm-hmm. take, and then they but could yeah, be like, "Wow, you need a shower." Kids, uh, yeah, no, they didn't. No, I know. And plus, they would you know the coat. The way our school was is that like the gym situation was like a quarter mile from the school situation. And so uh, Brian knows because you play basketball there. So they would be like, cool, your classes start at 9.15. Football practice ends at 9. So why don't you go, you got 15 minutes to fully shower, right. dress yourself, and get, <laughs> get on over there. Get a third of a mile over to school and start your day. By, and by the, the way, way uh, there's 60 of you and there's three shower heads. Shower heads yeah. yeah, exactly. So good luck. <laughs> And then, then they'd yeah. yell at us for being late, and we're like, yeah. "I, I know you guys probably should get some walkie talkies or something, coordinate amongst the <laughs> teachers." But we're got here as quick as we can. I'm still covered in mud because I took eight seconds of a shower. I'm ready to start my academic journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the like, best. Why are you Great soaking times. wet sitting there? It's like because I literally showered <laughs> five minutes ago. What do you want me to say? All right. Um, Great times. I mean, that's why we're. That's why Kent and I are enormously confident. <laughs> Again, speak for yourself. Welcome in. VIPs, thank you for being here. Hold on, we're we're welcoming in another audience. We're welcoming oh, in wow. a national audience now. Man, is the oh, okay. We're, we're sorry. We're sorry, our other audience. You had to witness the the gestures in another game, but welcome in, welcoming you now into the Mad About Movies VIP Bar Lounge wow. Grill here on the main feed. We're being stormed because you might listen to Mad About Movies every single week on your iTunes, your Spotify. Something like that, but you might not realize we do episodes other than that on our little VIP feed we have here yeah, on we our do. website, madaboutmoviespodcast.com slash VIP. And so here we are. We thought in honor of the anniversary of this movie, the overdue nature of the discussion of uh, this episode, and the fact that we're in Halloween times, we would drop a little main feed throwback episode but keep in mind we do these weekly sometimes multiple times a week sometimes every day we'll drop Mm -hmm. episodes Mm -hmm. so um just stick around to that vip feed subscribe it's about a dollar a week if you want uh to stay tuned to all of our episodes you can get all of our audio content for a dollar a week so so hop on over there and you get our discord and tons of other free perks a christmas gift coming soon if you sign up soon so get on over there madaboutmoviespodcast.com slash vip Sign up if you want more throwback discussions, movies that might not be new movies. We try to keep it some new, relevant, uh, up-and-coming movie news-type items in the main feed, and then we throw it back to maybe some some classic movies, some some Netflix side movies, some Oscar movies that we don't get to on the main feed, we'll get sure. to on the VIP. So stay tuned for that over there. But again, welcome. Welcome in to the VIP Lounge Bar Grill. We like to just hang out here. It's a really relaxed environment. We're all sipping our various beverages of choice. What do you What do you have tonight, Richard? I have a little. I think it's a little riesling. Red. Yeah, no, no, it's not a riesling. I've got a little red here. <laughs> a pinot oh. noir. I think I, I think it's a blend. Actually, nothing fancy, but you know, it gets the job done on a night. A little relaxation agent. There you go. I've got a little Topo Chico mm-hmm. slash. Uh, I guess it's um, crystal light. Nice. Combo going, nice. You know, I put the little crystal light powder yeah. in the topo. Yeah, you know, a little change your life. You're welcome, yeah. Brian. Where do you sipping on? I got a cup of coffee. It's uh, it's oh, my, nice. my first evening coffee. You know, you know how I roll. I yes, fully caffeinated. At all I will times probably hit little, the evening no coffee for the next episode we'll record, which we're talking about Seinfeld. We've done mm. every season of Seinfeld this year. And we're working our way through it. We've got one or two more left for the year, and we're going to get that later. So. It's another perk of the VIP. We'll Seinfeld right. talk monthly. Anyway, 
This discussion is about The Shining, and fellows, I'm very excited to talk about this. In fact, I'm so excited to talk about it that when I watched it again, I was confident, in fact, 100% confident that we had done an episode on this already. Like, <laughs> or <laughs> have we maybe uh, at some point, somewhere down the line, done some kind of talk on it? Uh, I don't know. I feel like I've talked about this at length with somebody, one of you guys maybe in the past at some point. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Mm. Regardless. I think it's been mentioned plenty of times, obviously. It's a, it's a uh, yeah, seminal but, movie, but I don't think we have. But I, yeah. honestly, can't. I had that used to be like the. I mean, I always knew, I'm like, okay, we've, we've done this, we've done that, whatever. I had Back to the Future on uh, our calendar for this year, right up until like a week before we were going to do it. And somebody in the VIP, <laughs> yeah, we had like, done it. Yeah. Hey, we've already done that. You guys have already done it. I mean, I'm happy to listen to another one, but I was like, oh, okay, well gonna nix that so possible that sometimes we they get i don't yeah, think 600 so. in there sometimes <laughs> episode right. 474 right. will get mm-hmm. lost in the shuffle there you know mm-hmm. whatever it is yeah. so we reviewed little women 12 times at least. i'm i'm all that to say i'm fairly fairly confident after very little research that we have not <laughs> done a shining episode already so these will be fresh thoughts and um again brian you mentioned it we've talked about this movie before on the show in fact as early as last year when we talked Dr. Sleep, we have an episode about that, the sequel. Mm-hmm. If you want our extensive thoughts on that, we'll we get more into that on that. I'm sure it'll come up in this episode. But yeah, it's a topic of conversation. I think Stanley Kubrick in general has been a topic. Maybe we've talked about The Shining there. Maybe we've talked about horror movies in general. Maybe we've talked about favorite movies and it's come up. And, you know, I, I'm sure it has, but I want to rewind start this thing off with general thoughts and background on this movie where you guys first encountered it, whether you grew up with it or not and all that stuff. I started with this actually reading the book. I had read the book because I asked my dad, uh, you know, when I was younger, Hey, what books did you read when you were younger that you really enjoyed? And he said, I remember reading the shining and being terrified. I was like, Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, I'd heard of Stephen King. I was probably, you know, 12, 13, whatever. Mm. Read the uh, book, loved it. So long. So dense. <laughs> uh, Stephen you know, King? For no what way. I was expecting. That's weird. Uh, yeah. And, you know, is if you've seen any of the movie, it's very, movie is very skeleton. In fact, not accurate at all. We'll get into that here a little bit later. But, um, yeah, I read the book and then ended up seeing the movie later when I went in my um, I don't know, my deep dives into movies that I needed to see uh, somewhere along the line. I saw The Shining, loved it, bought it, have revisited it a little bit, but I try not to watch it too much. Just like, mm. I don't know, a lot of classic movies that I know I love, I try not to watch every single year, even though I could and probably want to, especially around Halloween. But I don't do that. But Man, I, I revisit this this one a lot, and I got a lot of thoughts on it, so I'm excited to talk about it with you. But that's my background on it. Richard, what's your overall thesis on your mm. background on The Shining? One of my favorite movies ever. Jack Nicholson, probably. I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, man, that might be my favorite actor ever. Hmm. And uh, that's not a cool one. Because it's such an obvious choice, but dude, but he love- is cool. What are you talking about? No, it's cool, but I mean, it's a little too. It's like being like you know, my favorite baseball team, the Yankees. Um, so, but I love Jack. Love this. Um, I didn't come around to it till I was probably fifteen. Maybe it was when I saw it the first time. Fourteen, fifteen, early high school, maybe late middle school. I don't know. But I didn't certainly grow up with it by any means. But yeah, it's one I watch pretty much every year. Uh, just watched it last week, and we were we were talking about doing this episode, but. I actually watched it independent of this episode because just such a classic. I love Kubrick. I know Brian's a little less of a Kubrick guy and Kent's a big Kubrick guy. So we, we kind of all straddle the different sides. Uh, but I, I love this. And I think I know, I know Brian is like, this is probably the best uh, Kubrick film this year, 2001. And I I certainly, uh, I think this is just a perfect movie. Every frame of it is awesome. And uh, yeah, I just, I love this movie to me. This is like spooky movie. Number one. And I mm. love and I love some slasher movies. I love Halloween, and I love, I love um, Exorcist. Ex- yeah, I'm not as big on the Exorcist, but I, I mean, I certainly respect it. But I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a scary movie guy, not quite to your level, Kent, but de- definitely more than Brian. But to me, this is the the goat. 
I think this is just awesome. Nice. Brian, what about you? This is one of the few movies that I don't really remember like the first time I saw it. Um, I think partly because it was, I mean, this movie is just so prevalent in the culture, you know, that it's, you feel like you've seen it before you've ever seen it. I, I think because of, because of here's Johnny and um, some of the, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that, that at least when, when we were growing up, it, it felt like it was. Yeah. You know, the, the twins and yeah. All the, yeah. Yeah. Um, so all that stuff, it, it, it just felt so, um, uh, omnipresent that you, that I, so I, for whatever reason, I don't really remember seeing it for the first time. I, I've probably watched it a half dozen times since then. Watched it last night with my wife. Lindsay's a big fan of this one. Um, and you guys are right. Like, I mean, anyone who listens to the show knows I'm, I'm not a horror movie guy. Uh, I don't like to be scared. But also, I'm with you, Richard. I, I think this is probably the best horror movie ever. Uh, at least it gets my vote. And I know I know it's so little, so maybe my vote shouldn't even count. But uh, it's such a... I think it's a perfectly made movie. Um, it's it's not one that I'm ever going to be excited to sit down and watch. Because it's just... It's not my favorite type of thing, obviously. But uh, I think Jack is incredible. Um, I think the lengths to which Kubrick went to to get the performances is is insane <laughs> probably abusive but it it worked and it's a it's incredibly effective on that front and I I don't know I like when a horror movie or a scary movie or a thriller or whatever you want to categorize this as I like when it there's an intelligence to it and when it is um designed to be terrifying uh how do i put that i'm sorry i'm not i don't sound very eloquent right now i like when a movie is is terrifying in the moment but doesn't keep me up at night later so that's a great i greatly appreciate it would you put this along with like silence of the lambs i think that's a pretty good comp this is more i think this is a little this leans a little more horror than silence of the lambs does um because i mean silence of the lambs has one or two moments that are just pretty that are that are you know edge your seat thrilling yeah. gore yeah gory type moments. This one it really does build psychologically through the course of the movie. I mean it's a, I mean I know there's been can't you would know better than me, but there's there's how many documentaries and and books and features and whatnot written or or shot specifically about this movie. It is a masterclass in how to uh, how to do a psychological thriller type of a movie. And I think Silence of the Lambs is a great movie, but it's not quite. I don't remember watching Silence of the Lambs and just being like for for two hours, just being super tense the entire time and and worrying <laughs> for for the characters the way the the way they do with the shiny. But yeah, man, this movie's great. And um, if I'm gonna sit down and watch a, a scary movie, a horror movie during spooky season, this one's way, way, way up on up on the list. And I enjoy, I think this world's cool too. Today. Just a, just a quick aside. I I watched we watched Shining last night, my wife and I. And uh, this morning, while I was working in my office, I watched I rewatched Doctor Sleep. I really dig that movie, man. That was a that was mm-hmm. a solid pull mm-hmm. last year. I I really that one that one. Uh, if ever I I recreate a a top ten horror slash scary slash thriller list, that one definitely I think makes the list because it's it's just really solid. I so I think this world is is interesting and um, and Kubrick did. Some stuff, obviously, that King, that Stephen King hated, but it makes for, I think, an incredibly interesting and and freaky movie. Yeah. I mean, Stanley Kubrick, I mean, might be my favorite director um, mm. in terms of Which, bef- the Outside the, the good Dr. Uwe Boll, or? How <laughs> <laughs> dare you slander his name. I didn't. He's got a PhD. I, I respectfully say the good doctor. I said the good doctor because that's an insulting show to compare him to. Oh, He's the okay, doctor. We both. All right. Yeah. No, I, I love Kubrick, and you know, I totally am on board with anyone who's like, okay, don't understand it. Not for me. Can't can't get it. I I totally understand that. Whereas if somebody says, you know, I don't understand um, Steven Spielberg movies, I I. I really don't understand that at all. Um, so, but, no, I mean you understand them, Richard. <laughs> no, I do. Just, they're just not your preference. You know what I'm saying? Like there are people yeah. that literally just like I don't, I didn't, didn't no, understand I ET. I couldn't, I couldn't. You no, know, because they're the totally. most to me. They're the most approachable movies out they there on all are. fronts, on every totally. genre. You want totally. a horror movie? Approachable one, Jaws. Right. right. You want an approachable 
science fiction. He film, will tell you close encounters. Go ahead. To great effect sometimes, and to lesser great effect, exactly what you should be feeling in every moment. Sure. Yeah. Yes, and and yeah. most of the time, by the way, it's good. But uh, don't mm-hmm. don't think me as an idiot. He's he nails it eighty percent of the time. I would just say yeah. I'm the rare person that says twenty percent of the time it's a little on the nose. That's my Spielberg take. When you look at Stanley Kubrick's filmography, I mean, it is is an incredible line of work. I mean, he was kind of a prodigy of his time. He was an incredibly successful still photographer. You know, like could have been an all time great. You know, like an Ansel Adams level well-known photographer um and he was in his day as, as a very young person and and ended up you know discovering film and made some some wonderfully successful films early in his career you know Spartacus and uh, Barry Lyndon and Lolita mm-hmm. and some of these movies before 2001 which everyone considers his kind of coming out party or his debut really and it's kind of more in his late Beatles phase right and this is no different. I mean, I really think Stanley Kubrick, more than anything, was searching for a property, a skeleton of a property to adapt. And, okay, I just need a setting. I need a place. I need a situation. And I'll do the rest. I can figure mm-hmm. out the rest. I just want to create, because he knew what kind of mood he wanted to create. He knew mm-hmm. the atmosphere, the kind of winding atmosphere of the interiors of the hotel. I feel like he had all of that stuff internally mapped out in his head beforehand, you know, in his mind's eye. And then comes across The Shining and, and of course, very well known. I, I'm not saying anything new here. Took very bits and pieces of The Shining book, made it into his own, changed some things mm-hmm. around uh, to his liking, to Stanley Kubrick's liking, to make the best Stanley Kubrick film he could and put it out there. Some people got it. Of course, fans of the book didn't get it. Of course, Stephen King hated it, bashed it, ended up making his own version some years later and still bashes it to this day. But I really think it's more of a an artistic statement, more of a experimental feat of filmmaking than it is like him trying to adapt a book into mm-hmm. a movie, <laughs> you know, and trying yeah. to tell the story of Jack Torrance. You know, this is a this is about an atmosphere. This is about a feeling sure. that you get that you when you leave the theater, when you don't know what you experienced and all of that. I mean, when you think about nonlinear filmmaking, this this movie, there are, there are it's also very well known that you can play the movie kind of overlapped on each other. Like it's a very circular film in terms of how it's shot and how it's told. Um, So like literally if you took the entire movie on a film strip, folded it in half and then ran it through the projector, like the front and the back of the movie would line up in some really eerie ways that even Stanley Kubrick thought of back in the day. So I think there's a lot of, and I don't, I don't want to get too deep into the conspiracy theory side of things because mm-hmm. I think from a technical side of things, this is a masterpiece of filmmaking on from a lot of levels, and we'll get into that. But there are some fun, interesting conspiracy theories on what it means and why he made the movie and all that. But uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, like you said, Brian, the the master class of, of terror, I think it really starts with – the overlook and the setting of the overlook and the look of the overlook. Mm. And I was going back and watching this little documentary thing. I don't know. I think it was on the shining Blu-ray or something like that. Wow. And and I watch it on YouTube. I don't have it. Um, I just search for it or whatever. And and sometimes no, we get it. We get it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I have YouTube. It's pretty cool. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, he, Stanley Kubrick, was saying, I think Jack Nicholson said this, that Stanley hated production design, <laughs> like hated sets, hated some dude coming in here and saying, all right, well, his apartment's going to look like this. Like he would go around and send people around the world with cameras and take pictures of hotel rooms and take pictures of mm-hmm. different places. He would line up all the photographs and say, okay. Here's the gold room. Here's the Colorado lounge. Here's the red bathroom. Here's the hallway, you know, and did it that way. 
And I think that really comes across in the authenticity of this movie and the fact that this does feel like a real place that, that ghosts would exist in. In fact, it's all, it's all fake. It's all plastic. It's all a set, right? But it feels so real. Like, this has to be a real place, right? But it's not. And I think that's an incredible feat of, I don't know, foresight to just set this in a really natural environment with what seems like real people and with not a lot of fanfare and let the camera kind of do the talking. And you talk about a bare minimalist script. I mean, there's not a lot to work with here. Of course, there's some bombastic scenes and some, some big moments, but overall it's very minimal. And you spend a lot of time browsing the hotel. I mean, this is a two and a half hour movie and I would say there's about 80 minutes of talking in it, you know? So, um, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of tones, a lot of a lot of music, a lot of score, a lot of cinematography, but I think it's all for the better. And I'll get we'll get into the weeds here in a second. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of my first impression is just how awesome the Overlook is. And Brian, you know, you say you watch Doctor Sleep, and mm-hmm. something I remember talking about in the Doctor Sleep episode was how did they do this? How did they recreate this? The Shining, you know, um, sure. and they literally did. They built it. They went back and they just built the whole set again. It's awesome. There's a, I'll probably put it in the link uh, in the description for this episode if you want to check it out on YouTube. But there's a yeah little video where they actually build the Colorado Lounge and everyone's just geeking out like the the uh, director, you know, gets the big wheel and it's like riding it around the hallways of this place <laughs> like it's an actual physical place. And I think that's so cool too to be able to recreate. In my opinion, the most iconic film set of all time is a really cool, cool thing. And I wish it was mm-hmm. somewhere where you could go visit it, you know, or stay there. Because I think they, they actually, the real one is called the Yahawani uh, Lodge or something. It's in Yosemite. And there is a Colorado lounge there. Like, it's the exact same layout. It's the one that Kubrick modeled it after, but it, it's slightly mm-hmm. changed over the years. But the, I think they should open an Overlook Hotel. Like, how awesome would that be to stay there? Like, if it was... The same layout, carpet, red bathroom, all that kind of stuff would be. I mean, no such thanks a cool for me, place. but I get it. As long me. as you're not staying in room uh, two three seven, you're good. Yeah. Or two seventeen, right? Yeah. Yeah, man the 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 structure of this is so it's so cool, and it's it's really interesting to me the the kind of uh, I don't know if it's a feud or whatnot, but the maybe creative differences between. King and Kubrick on this and you it's one of those to me at least where you can kind of see both sides of it like yeah I've never I haven't read The Shining I've read plenty of other King works and it's just really funny that King says man he had no interest in adapting my my book he just took the idea he did just exactly what you said can he took the idea because the setting is cool and is interesting and and the the themes are interesting and then basically just tossed out everything else and wrote a story all the mythology all the yeah all yeah. the real logic to it is the sure. Out. Yeah, sure. And you can totally see King's point of view of saying, "Hey, man, why, why you know, why are you why are you getting my book and then just going to completely destroy it and not do anything with with what I wrote?" And what did he say? I have it in my notes somewhere. He said uh, something like, "Oh, that it's a it's a fancy car without an engine because he's he stripped out all my <laughs> writing." And Kubrick kind of fired back and says, "Well, I mean, it's a it's a cool idea, but." the writing's pretty weak. And so they're just the back and forth between the two of them. Did you see Kent that when, uh, when I was leaning in the research that when King wanted to make the, that 97 miniseries, uh, Kubrick still owned the rights to all TV and film, uh, adaptations and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so King had to go to him to, to get permission to make a miniseries uh, out of his own book. And, Kubrick let him do it as long as he signed a letter saying that he would no longer slander the movie in public, which is pretty great. That's so I enjoy. I would make him sign a letter that says the Stanley Kubrick's version of The Shining is a good movie, yeah, or something like that. Like to say that it's not because that's what he slandered. Not only that is it not a faithful adaptation, but that it was a bad Mm -hmm. movie and no one should go see it. That's like that's yeah. I, I even for Stephen King. And New rules. Granted, I didn't. I didn't. And I love Stephen King. American Treasure. Stephen King. Yeah. Like, like, love that guy. And I don't want to slander an American Treasure. But at the same time, Unless even for him, Cosby. you know, if this, yes, we can slander former 
<laughs> former uh, disgraced American treasures. Um, even for Stephen King, he should realize that this is a, a great film. And granted, it's not me. I didn't write The Shining, so I can't really sympathize yeah. with that. But at the same time, he should be able to say, wow, I've never seen a movie like that before. You know, um, because again, up to this point, this is 1980, you know, there was Halloween, there were, there were some horror movies out alien, you know, those kinds of movies were out there, but it wasn't like this. There was never really, I don't know if anyone had ever really done the haunted house, taken it seriously like this. This is almost like a Christopher Nolan horror movie, you know, like Hmm. it's like, it's a, it's a serious minded horror movie. It, it, It strips away the camp in a truly terrifying way, because I think everybody out there can sympathize that if you were stuck in a hotel by yourself for, for six months or whatever it was, they were going to be in there that you would probably go insane too and have those fears of, can I even do this? And then like it starts happening to Jack Torrance without him even real, even realizing it. It's like, it's a very, I don't know, stark realization some people come to when they watch this because it's way more terrifying than they anticipate. And of course, there's some ghost moments and of course the twins and some jump scares, but I think it's more of a psychological, yeah, like sure. trapped in your own mind type movie. And that comes across, man. I rewatched this again over the weekend and it just looks incredible, man. It, it, it mm. might be the Blu-ray restoration or whatever it is or whatever the, the version is that I watched. Um, but it looks so good. It, it holds up on almost every level, you know, even, mm-hmm. even movies that I love and I love, I think Halloween is probably the best, the best horror movie ever. And even that, you know, doesn't hold up in some areas in terms Only of the, the Rob decade, Zombie though one, right? <laughs> yeah. The Rob, Rob, Rob Zombie's Halloween. Uh, and the fact that all of that, I don't know, kind of holds up really encouraged me on this last rewatch. And it made me sure. even say, gosh, this is a better movie. I'm, I looked at my all-time list because I hadn't watched it in a couple of years when I made our most recent all-time list. And I had it, I think, 20 or 17 or somewhere around there on the list. I was like, man, I, that should have been a top 10 for me. If I have one Kubrick movie, it's probably going to be this one. Although I do like all of his movies a lot. Mm. I do. I, hey. you know, um, we could talk about that another time and rank the Kubricks, but um, I think this is his best movie. And I don't know. Man, maybe Paths over, of Glory. Over Space Odyssey? Over 2001? Space Odyssey I mean, is not... I, I'm fine with that. I don't like 2001, as we as I've said previously. I mean, I would much rather watch The Shining. I mean, movie. sure. If Stanley Kubrick but, had never made The Shining, hell yeah, 2001 would be his best movie. Sure. But The Shining is like on another level. I think The Shining has is bigger than 2001 even more influential on more people and Hmm. has stood the test of time. And maybe Jack Nicholson has something to do with that. But again, I I just think the way he went about this and we'll we'll start with the, the steady cam, you know, he, he hired Garrett Brown, the inventor of the steady cam to shoot this movie. The person who knew the most of how to get the most out of this new technology. And we say that, new because that seems like so foreign like what do you mean you couldn't uh, you know shoot a, a movie without a, a shaky cam like basically no like this was the first movie where you didn't have to have like a physical track on the ground to get a steady smooth shot mm-hmm. <laughs> like moving shot and that was a big deal and so you know you see it in this movie really i guess i don't know, highlighted by the fact that they put the cameras close to the can to the ground, they have that striped carpet and you really see the, I don't know, depth of field the way it is. And there, there is no track, you know, and that this camera really moves around almost independent of any, anything else. This is a masterwork of cinematography, just in, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know if there uh, is, maybe but the be- if, there's maybe a, the best. if there's a video mm-hmm. on just camera movement in the shining, mm-hmm. Please send that to me. It's like a character in the movie. Yes. It, the way he, he, he tells you where to look, um, takes you around this hotel, confuses you is, is truly brilliant. And Kubrick again, built this, this set pieces of this set, different locations, piece them together 
And it really, the contradictions pile up in your mind and your subconscious of the locations of things, because, you know, he really starts out like in the front lobby of this hotel and you follow Jack Nicholson, like into the middle, into the middle, into this office. That's like in the middle of the hotel. And it's like, why is there a window in the middle of this middle of the hotel? Like, so all these things, things add up in terms of, you know, they walk into the freezer and, and there's, uh, you know, a hallway behind them and then they walk out of the freezer and there's a different hallway behind them. So like subconscious things, Stanley Kubrick was super into what's it called? Supplemental advertising and things like that at this, at this time. So like, I really think on a, on a truly, truly honest level, he was just trying to mess with people with this movie <laughs> uh, uh, to the greatest, greatest lengths. And, and it, and it really worked. I mean, he's a guy who never let anything slip through the cracks continuity errors. Mm. You know, you talk about costume choices, things in the background, um, uh, the typewriter, like what brand of typewriter is it going to be? What color is the typewriter going to be? And and again, during the movie, the typewriter changes from white to gray. I don't know if you guys noticed that or what Mm. that's symbolic of, um, Jack's lack of shining or, or whatever that is. But again, that's a conscious choice by the director. And there are certain things in here that they add up over time. Um, and again, I don't know what Stanley Kubrick's really trying to say with this movie, but it's not the shining. (laughs) And I want to, I want your opinions on what you, what you really think that is. I have my, my thesis after this most recent rewatch of probably what I think he was most likely trying to say with it. And I have some evidence for that, that, that I'll get to or or point out, but I want y'all's y'all's thoughts on just like what the shining means, you know, Brian, what, what do you think? It's a good question. I mean, there's definitely there's definitely more at work here than just straight up I'm going to make a movie. I I'm not a conspiracy guy. Um and I I mean, I'm not smart enough to get into the head of what Kubrick was trying to do you ultimately. Were pretty hard in the Pizzagate though. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I'm just saying there's there's some dots that can be connected. Um, what do you mean was in the Pizzagate? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, that's why I had to turn my camera off tonight. I don't want you guys to see the, <laughs> the yarn wall behind me. Um, but no, like I, I definitely think that part of this was. I, so when I'm looking through the research, like I mean, it's not just Stephen King. There's there's lots of people who said about Kubrick not great things, um, and and a, a common refrain was kind of like what I say about Zemeckis is like I don't think he understood human emotions. I don't I don't think Zemeckis understands human beings, and uh, and I think other people feel that way a little bit about Kubrick and. I definitely think this was partly, I mean, he, I think he took this movie in part because he was interested by the setting and using the setting as a character. But also I think he was interested in, uh, he wanted to explore making a horror movie and what that was, what that was. He's never, never done that before. Didn't do that afterwards, you know, unless you, I mean, eyes wide shut's kind of a horror movie, but, um, but doing, wants to experiment in the genre. But I think part of even that, um, attraction for him was the the psycholo I think he's just a dude who is really interested in the psychological side of things yeah, and he's the, a chess player you know he's yeah kind of for that. sure exactly that's exactly right and so the this the psychology of a horror movie and what makes people tick and how he could explore that on screen I mean we we know like with I, I mentioned eyes wide shut but like we we all know I mean it's a very common story every that that we know at this point that Part of, if not maybe the only reason he made that movie is because he he didn't think that Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman had a real marriage, yeah. and he it wanted to break it apart against Hollywood couple. Yeah, it's yeah. A great Gosh, there's a. Have you read that book, um, nineteen ninety nine movie year? I book. haven't yet. It's Gosh, there's a chapter list, in man. that book that talk that talks about why Eyes Wide Shut, mm-hmm. and they he made it for like two years straight. Yeah, like, yeah, no, it's so long. No, it's one of the longest shoots ever. Oh, dude, was, it's insane. So the the Closterman theory. I don't think you've read that yet, but the Closterman theory is he was trying to break them as a couple. That was mm-hmm. the whole reason right. he made that movie. Is that uh, he was trying to break? He knew that that relationship was fake, and he was trying to break it. So he he conjured up this entire film. I'm gonna say I necessarily agree with all of it, but it certainly was effective. If that was the sure. goal, then yes. 
<laughs> right. He got he got it done. Um, but yeah, I just I, I, I don't know, Kent, kind of to bring it full circle. I, I don't really have a great answer to your question other than I think he was interested in the psychology of uh, of the genre and maybe wanted to see if he what he could do within that genre. And, I, I you know, this thing, it's so the, the cinematography is incredible. The way it's all structured is incredible. Um, the I think it's probably I mean, <laughs> I, I slammed on like Darren Aronofsky last week when we talked about I'm thinking of ending things. And so I guess I'll just keep it up. But like you watch a movie like mother, that's sort of about the, the descent into madness and the protection of uh, this, of your, of your baby, your story, your, your book or your, whatever it is. And then you watch this and it's just like, it's, it's to me, it's just laughable with somebody like Aronofsky, like the way that, yeah that Kubrick is able to handle that same concept within the actual framework of, of, yeah, of like with an actual good movie. It's, it's, it just makes Aronofsky look like a child uh, to me, but, but that whole, I mean, he, he does that better. He did that better than, than anybody of, of, of doing, of doing very, very difficult, complex things um, and, or themes and exploring those themes within the concept of a medium that actually had, some some uh i almost said relevance it's not really the right word uh some some structure and some um substance goodness couldn't think of the word sorry guys yeah that there's real substance to this while also exploring these these really deep dark Mm. themes um and that i mean that that carries over to almost all of his movies i i would say but yeah 100 percent. and uh again kubrick's not for everybody I like Full Metal Jacket a lot more than most people do, because I don't, I don't know if, and again, we've done an episode on that one, didn't we? we did, yes, a couple years ago. So yeah, yeah I won't, I won't go. We did your old place, your old house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. While your while your roommate watched us, we had, we had an audience <laughs> of right. one. On I don't remember. Right. I don't. I really don't remember any of these recordings. I'm, I got yeah. problems, guys. Well, we'll I know we did Doctor Strange Love. That one I think is. <sighs> I might have that one at the top. It's it's tough. Yeah, it's, it's tough. That one's and I think high. we did 2001, but I'm not. I, I guess what totally Kubrick's pretty good. That. Yeah, we did yeah. do 2001. 100. percent Okay, I remember it. Yeah, I love Spartacus and Pass of Glory. I think those two are really um, have become somewhat underrated just based on how old they are. Yeah, and how huge. You know, I mean, the, the rest next, of his like, movies were, look, yeah. 64 to, to 71 is Dr. Strangelove 2001 and Clockwork Orange. You can yeah. you can forgive somebody for forgetting that he did Spartacus and Paths of Glory before. You know what I mean? Because it's just those movies are so huge and swallow up so much uh, of what you know, Spartacus is only about. Oscar. <sighs> That's a good I thought he won is. best picture for that, didn't he? I think. Eh, let's see. He. Yeah, you know what? He didn't win anything. Um, he he won a, a, a special effects. Um, That's a award. shame. I he thought Spartacus a guy like he should definitely have a I'm an idiot. No, memorize my best. No, picture. he he's nominee for writing on Full Metal Jacket, nominee for best picture and director, and writing on Barry Lyndon. That's uh, absurd. Picture director man. writing Clockwork Orange, director writing uh, on uh, on 2001, and then. Uh, Best Picture nominee for for uh, and, and director and writing for Doctor Strange Love. Sorry, yeah, all those he he racked up the nominees, but nominations, but no uh, no wins. Insane, Tr- truly one of the most brilliant brilliant directors. And Richard, do you want me to pass it to you on what The Shining means, or you want me to go? Uh, you go, go nuts, man. You go nuts. Um, I mean, what do you guys think about the symbolism of? This the setting, right? The uh, Indian burial ground. What do you think the symbolism is there? I think there's something there with, um, you know, the fact that it was on an Indian burial ground. You you talk about this elevator. Um, I don't know. I don't. Want, I don't want to say homage, but this this elevator um, refrain. I guess is the right word that that you see throughout the movie. You know, it, it pops up. Like the souls of of the underground, right? Rising the 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 blood of the dead, right? Um, you that that iconic line that I think 
has some weight in this movie in a big way that I don't know what Kubrick meant by it. And and he was writing this movie as he was shooting it. I mean, that's well documented. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a little mini documentary that his daughter, uh, Vivian, mm-hmm. did while shooting and, and did a lot of cool B-roll of it. And um, that's about an hour long if you want to go look that up, too. It's really, really cool to see Jack Nicholson, like, pumping himself up before throwing the axe in the wall. And oh, I mean, the I door love it. It's really... It's really, really good. Um, but anyway, yeah, he was writing this up up to the moment. And what do you think that that wine, that uh, line of white man's burden is? Um, white man's burden. White man's burden, Lloyd. White man's burden. You know, and they're talking about women there. I don't think it's like a sexist. Like the whole point of this movie is women suck and this woman sucked the life out of me. So I'm going <laughs> to murder my family. Like that's too on, like out there on the nose, obvious up front for Stanley Kubrick, I feel like. Mm. But I, I feel like there is something about like the uh I don't know, American Native American white man genocide <laughs> type thing happening here, mm. maybe. Um and some kind of symbolism there. And and maybe that's too obvious with just some of the the paintings you see around uh, the Overlook Hotel and some of the some of the things that are said throughout the throughout the movie. But I don't know. I mean, to me, that's that's pretty. Li- I don't likely thing. Um, and again, you you look at the, the character of Danny. He only wears red, white, and blue throughout the movie. You notice that all mm. of his clothes in different forms, different shirts, different sweaters, um, over shirts, things like that. It's always we're always wearing red, white, and blue. I don't know if he's some kind of symbol for America or us or. Something like that. I think there's something there. Um, also, you know, I talked about Kubrick not not letting anything slip through the cracks when it comes to what's in the movie, what's on screen. You know, he left everything in focus too. Um, mm-hmm. He never shoot shot anything with any any kind of character in close up and the black the background blurred. Right? You know, you know kind of depth of field with his stuff. Everything you see, right? And it, and it, I think it's trying to to paint a little bit bigger picture, right? So some of the some of the items you do see throughout the hotel at different moments in the different scenarios. Uh, I wrote some of these down as I was watching it just cuz they started to really stick out to me on this on this mm-hmm. last rewatch. Um you've got Marlboro cigarettes, Coca-Cola, Jack Daniels, Tang, Heinz, Louisville Slugger, Kool-Aid, Oreo, Country Time Lemonade, right? All these iconic American mm-hmm. companies just out front in this movie um, mm-hmm. for some reason, Waterburger, you know, all like example. brand names too. It's not like, Oh, it's, mm-hmm. it's uh, a red apple cigarettes or whatever Tarantino universe mm-hmm. branded, you know, sure. like these, these to mm-hmm. me, that's for a reason. Um, I don't know what that is, but I think he was trying to say something about, I don't know, American life, American guilt, American, uh, <coughs> the American dream, something like that. With this, with the, I don't know, using the construct sure. of Jack Torrance and the Overlook. Uh, so, I don't know, the maze, I he, think the maze, yeah. the labyrinth and the maze is a big, big symbolic thing here too, where, you know, the only way to truly learn, to truly defeat your, your, your demons is to learn from your past, right? The whole thing mm. of Danny covering up his tracks in the snow is a whole very big symbolism thing. I don't need to point that out to anyone, but. Sure. I think there's a big, big thing with the maze and the overlook and some, some symbolism there somewhere along the lines that mm-hmm. I can't, I don't know. I think I've got a few, a few things on that. One, I was never very good at, at symbolism in uh, like, like uh, English class or whatever. I w- always got very frustrated because mm. I loved it. I loved reading, loved writing, loved English. Uh, and then you'd, you'd occasionally like, I, I had a teacher, I think my 11th grade English teacher was just like a freak for symbolism. And it drove me insane. Cause she would just, it felt like everything I I would enjoy whatever we were reading. And then she would be like, well, here's the symbolism of literally every word in this book, you know? And you're just like, Oh my gosh, I just, can I just, can we just read the freaking book? Um, I was never great. At, so I was, I was never great at identifying all that stuff. Um, number two, I definitely think you're right. Ken. I, I think there's for sure some stuff in here that, um, 
you can get to the heart of if you want to try, or you can you can think you're getting to the heart of. Number three, I definitely think he was messing with people too. I yeah. think that's part of it. Yeah. And and um, I think like the the Apollo Eleven sweater to me is like the great the most obvious example because I'm not that yeah. smart. And so the Apollo Eleven sweater that Danny's wearing is so clear to me of it's a it's a wink and a nod and a you you dummies uh that that you're gonna obsess over this and and it's you're gonna say that it's me you know t- admitting to helping to fake the moon landing but really this is me just making fun of you um it's hard for me to watch something like dr strange so i didn't let me put it this way i didn't watch dr strange love until we did that episode however many years that ago that yeah. was i don't i don't think i'd ever seen it beforehand and that movie sort of reframed some of the watching some of the other Kubrick movies for me. Cause yeah. Cause there's some real joy. It's not to interrupt, but no, no, it can come off as pretentious because of the subject, mm-hmm. but there's like a weird satirical nature to him. Yes. Yes. That is only really overt in Dr. Strangelove. And once totally. you see that, you yeah. see it in the other movies and you go, Oh boy. Okay. This guy, That's exactly right. This yeah. guy is, yeah. he's smirking while he does this. He's not mm-hmm. showing you how smart he is. He's like, it's a it's for a laugh, which makes him so much more enjoyable. Sorry, no, no, I'm, but that's a hundred percent what I mean. It's watching that movie, sort of this movie in particular, because I'm more familiar with it than I am Clockwork Orange or or Foil Jacket or whatever. And it's just so it's so much more significant culturally. But like for me, immediately having watching Doctor Strangelove for the first time, really all the way through, I was like so much more clicks into place for for me with The Shining, and it it. It really, I don't know. I know you, we've, we may have even talked about that, the doc, the room 237 documentary, um, that came out mm-hmm. a few years ago and I watched that and, and I mean, it's well made, it's, it's enjoyable and stuff, but there were, for me, there was a point at which, and I don't, I don't know where it was, but at a certain point I was like, okay, we've, we've gone too far here. <laughs> we are, we are digging too deep into every element. This has become my junior year English teacher type stuff. And I, I think there's a one guy who thought it was about some stuff that he's just messing. There was one guy who thought it was about like suppressed homosexuality thing. I didn't see that. Like, (laughs) honestly, and of all the ones I, that was the one that I didn't see the most. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. hints of like sexual abuse between Danny and, and Jack uh, in the movie. And that maybe you can point there, but I don't think that's the overarching I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, the evidence is less convincing for that conspiracy theory than even the moon landing one, <laughs> to be sure. quite no, honest I totally with you. Yeah. Um, I can get on, more on board with, oh, yeah, I can see how he put some, some Easter eggs of, of, you know, room 237 being um, two, 237,000 miles away. You know, small things mm-hmm. like that, that, you know, wink and a nod, maybe, but also, you know true Easter eggs and true things that he did put in the movie. Sure. Right. You know, yeah. Tang, no, that, that, Tang I totally being, agree. being the astronaut sure. stuff, you know, things sure. like that, that, that there's more of an argument for that than there is like, like Stuart Ullman is his, is his suppressed gay lover. And there, mm-hmm. you know, right. I don't, right. I mean, come on. Like again, what do you think? Who do you think Stuart Ullman represents? I mean, look, he looks exactly like JFK cosplay. And he's got a huge American flag on his on his desk. Like what? It, <laughs> what are they trying to say? It doesn't make any sense to me. You know, like yeah. But again, I all think these like scenes, with any conspiracy theory, and we're seeing. I mean, it's it's just conspiracy theory stuff. Conspiracy theory culture has gone from a kind of a funny side thing to like, oh my god, we're this is actually terrifying over the last few years, but. Regardless, I think it's with with almost any conspiracy theory, if you want to believe a thing, you can find evidence for that thing, you know, and and especially mm-hmm. when you're talking about a movie or, or a book, symbolism within a book. If you if you want to believe that the symbolism for whatever it is that you want to believe is there, you can find it. It's just is, you know, is that mo- is the movie actually saying that? And for me, my take on it is that. I definitely think there's some parts of it that are that are true, but I don't think I think Kubrick was just trying to mess with everybody's head. Yeah. With all these because you're totally right. Like he there is no frame. And we always talk about like the, the, the mark of a great screenplay is that there's no there's no or, or a great movie is that there's no wasted shot, right? Like there's no wasted page on on the on the screenplay and there's there's no wasted shot. Like there's not one thing in frame that ever 
in in this movie in particular, but but pretty much any Kubrick movie that he did not purposefully put there. There's no accidental. Oh wow, we caught this or whatever. I mean, there there's a reason for everything that's done. I just think a lot of times in this movie in particular, the reason was these idiots will obsess on this for thirty <laughs> years. You know. Yeah. No, yeah. it's almost like a Maybe. meta movie. But but by the way, he made a classic while he's trying to do a meta commentary. Right. right. Like yeah. you said with Aronofsky, he's he's. Meanwhile, he's also making a super watchable uh, mm-hmm. classic. Right. Um, if you never want to pick up on those things at all, you do not. You don't have to. Right. It's not being thrown in your face the whole time. There's some just incredibly iconic moments in the movie, and the way Kubrick sets them up is just truly genius. The way he directed the, the film. First of all, you know something I really noticed this, this last rewatch is how he repeats the shot of the gold room. Every single time, like that long dolly shot down the hallway, and then that mm-hmm. horizontal shot walking across the gold room to the bar. You know, he does it three times when he's when they're introducing him to the uh, when they're introducing him to the hotel. Right, they're walking him through with 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 uh, Wendy, and they meet Dick Halloran there and all that. Um, then Jack goes by himself, right, and sees Lloyd in an empty bar. Same exact same exact camera shot, right? Same exact camera movement. Different, different time, different scenario, and then does it again. The third time is an entirely full gold room, and dude, I got chills this last time. Like mm-hmm. when he did that, I was like, "That is so cool!" Because you you don't expect it because you've been to this place twice before in this movie, and it's been the same both times—an empty place, and then that reveal of the completely full party there, and him, and the way Nicholson just walks through like it's this dream. I mean, that whole scenario that whole sequence of going there and getting the things built on him and then going back into the red bathroom and with Grady and all that stuff is just so so perfect man and like another thing that he does to set up um a reveal in the movie is the mirror in the uh, apartment um mm. you know he, he uses it to to great effect early in the movie when Wendy kind of walks in and you see Jack laying in bed and you think it's through a door, but it's actually a mirror. Right. And, um, he uses it again when Danny comes in the room and there's some cool, like perspective shots of the mirror early in the movie, but it really doesn't pay off until the end or near the end when Danny's sleepwalking in there, writes red rum. And then his mom wakes up, looks in the mirror and sees murder there. Right. So this whole mirror thing had to be set up in some convincing, cool way beforehand for it to, makes sense why she would look at this mirror, why this mirror would be significant. So like those types of things that he thought about um, and really emphasize make all the difference. And, and he really understands like movie making. I know that's a simple way to put it, but like, I think some people just know the language better than others. And And, yeah, in a lot of way he, in, in, to that point, but also add into it. A lot, in a lot of ways, he invented the language. Right. With this mm. movie. Yeah. Right. Great point. Great, great point. Um, another another funny thing is, you know, Halloran's coming back this whole time. He's trying to call the Overlook, can't get through. Spends ha- You spend all this time cutting back to him, flying across the country, renting cars, doing all this stuff. He finally shows the overlook, and then Jack immediately axes him. <laughs> like it's such a Kubrick thing to do, right? It's like mm. you wake all this time, you think this guy's going to save the day, and then he just gets axed in the freaking chest immediately. You know, it's like it's so funny. It's such a Hitchcock like yeah. killing the killing the girl in the first act kind of thing. It's like mm-hmm. this was for yeah. nothing. This is because you expected something to happen that it's not going to happen. Sorry, this is not the same mm-hmm. kind of movie you're expecting, and yeah. At the same time, I do think he's making fun of horror movies. Like, I think the the one of the final shots of the film of the frozen Jack Nicholson head. Like, I think that's for a laugh, honestly, because it looks so dumb mm. and ridiculous. You know? Yeah. Um, but Brian, I wanted to ask you. Um, we'll we'll wrap this up here here pretty quick. I wanted to ask you though. The bathtub scene's pretty uh pretty intense. Did that yeah. did that uh, scare you at all, or you knew what to expect? Uh, it probably creeped me out the first time I saw it. Yeah. Now, you yeah, know, you just kind of it's it's not a it's not something that sticks with you. I will tell you that uh, probably because I just haven't seen it as many times. But rewatching Doctor Sleep today, the way that they do the woman in the bathtub <clears throat> uh, a couple times in that is is 
is creepier, I think, long term than than Doctors, uh, than it's done. Doctor Sleep, Love It or Hate It. We don't need to go into that. It's such an interesting film in terms of con- mm-hmm. conceptually. It's like almost like a meta commentary se- prequel sequel. You know, it's like mm-hmm. such where it fits in relation to its original core construct is so interesting. Sure. Yeah, the way they went about that was yeah, was awesome. It'd be like making a Star Wars movie that was about the engine on the Millennium Falcon or something, or something you know. Mm-hmm. I'm right. sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to give Disney that idea. No. I just made 400. <laughs> they just made that a 10-part series. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um that's cool. Yeah, no, the first time you see that scene, it's it's pretty disturbing cuz you know something's going to happen. You by the point by the time you've seen The Shining, I would guess 99% of, of first-time Shining viewers, this is not the first horror movie they've ever seen, you know? And you kind of know the beats, right? Like, you know, all right, this is... The music is swelling. God, we the music of this movie, dude, here. is so Oh, man, good. the score is incredible. Oh, man. my God. Um, Again, this last yeah. time, I'm like, God, it makes all the difference to mm-hmm. setting the tone yeah, it's, is, it's is that score. score. It's just yeah, so weird and different. I mean, that... That mm. I'm glad they use it in Doctor Sleep too. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so good, man. I want this on vinyl. Perfect like utilization. It's the, it's the perfect of... like weird atmosphere, tense mm-hmm. situation soundtrack. I mean, it is so good. But sure. that's an aside. Sure. But go ahead. Yeah. But no, you just you know something's gonna happen in that scene, mm. and then but you're not quite sure what it's gonna be, and then when it when it hits, <laughs> you're like, oh gosh, that's it's pretty, it's pretty. So very very effective use of of the sort of jump scare and the the makeup and all that sort of stuff very, done very well. I like you mentioned Ken, that that um when uh oh now I've lost the character's name. I'm sorry. The uh the chef's character Howard. the guy, goodness gracious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank sorry. Goodness. Um when he shows up and just immediately gets axed uh is very Kubricky, but the to me like the best point in this when I was looking through the 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 notes and whatnot. I'm pretty sure it was Spielberg that said this. Um, that I, but I really appreciate it. It's so smart to save that for that moment rather than use it when, um, when Wendy is looking through his book and it's just you know all work and no play. You expect right there that you're gonna get because of the the way the camera is focused in. It's a tight focus, and you expect there that you're gonna get the jump scare and him popping out and, and freaking her out and stuff. But instead he pulls the camera back behind the wall to show Jack sort of slowly creeping around the corner and stuff. And so it's a different kind of, it's so good when Halloran's just walking through the hotel. Yeah, exactly. like, is anyone here? Yeah. Is anyone here? Yeah. And it's just like, Oh, you know, something's coming around the right. corner and here right. comes the ax. It's like, right. And that, I think, I think that moment is, is a little bit less, well, a little bit less effective if we've already had one of those, you know, 30 minutes earlier or whatever when, right. when she's looking through his manuscript. It's really smart, obviously. It turns out he's good at making films, but uh, yeah, that's a really smart play in the midst of all of the other good decisions that were made in this movie. Love this movie, man. It's an all-timer, masterpiece. I'm going to save it for next year. I'm not going to watch it again until maybe this time next year, maybe mm-hmm. not till later because I... I love it. I, I find something new every time. And I think that's true with most, most Kubrick movies for me though. Um, I, I don't know which one I watched the most probably eyes wide shut. No. Um, I've probably <laughs> it's seen, not for the sex it's for the mask. Yeah. It's great masks. Um, I've probably seen 2001 the most times, but I don't know which, which one's the most rewatchable. Probably this one. I don't know. There's something about it. And again, I'm glad yeah. Dr. Sleep came out. And plus it's got out. a seasonal aspect to it. Yeah. And I'm glad Dr. Sleep came out so we can, we can, again, Brian, you pointed it out earlier, just live in this universe and the world that's created and the world beyond the movie is, is really interesting that I'm glad we're, we're mm-hmm. getting to explore it now. Um, one other note I had, do you think the Jurassic Park scene with the, uh, like under the uh, stainless steel, kids hiding in the cabinets like i don't know i think that was maybe an homage like a subconscious level yeah it is it It definitely is yeah i think spielberg is danny hiding in the stainless steel Uh thing yeah i I noticed that this time i was like god that's gotta be there's gotta be a connection there Mm -hmm. i know spielberg's Mm -hmm. a big kubrick guy of course Mm -hmm. made ai it's so funny that. that they're so tight and and i mean not funny but that they uh were such good friends yeah. and, and made 
all AI. that when they make completely right. different kinds of movies. Totally. It's just, yeah. it's, it's great. I'd well, rather watch, yeah, I'd rather Spielberg be friends with, with uh, Kubrick over George Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you imagine if Kubrick was still alive, man? I, I think he'd be still cranking out some some awesome movies. Well, this has been The Shining. Again, we do these throwbacks every week here on Mad About Movies. So if you want more of these types of episodes, subscribe to our VIP feed, madaboutmoviespodcast.com slash VIP. And again, you get access to our Discord, which all three of us are very active on there, and a lot of our VIPs are on there. We're always talking movies. I'm on there right now. Always talking TV, mu- music. All kinds of fun stuff. So join us over there. That's just one of the perks of being a VIP. Well, let's grade this one out. Brian, what are you going to mm. give this shining? Mm, maybe like a C, C plus. <laughs> C Not plus minus. The genre. Uh, no, this is an A plus. This is, I, I mean, you mentioned Halloween. I think that's probably one and two or, or, or two and one. They're different. They're different genres, though. Halloween's number one yeah. slasher movie. I think this is For number sure. one, sure. like. I don't know. Yeah. And then I don't know what you do with Jaws, how you classify that. Yeah. That's another one that. So, I mean, there's all kinds of, of uh, subgenre and categorization within this genre. But if if you just lump them all together and say horror movie, I think this is the best horror movie ever made. So uh, that it gets it gets an A, a plus from me. Same. A plus for me, Richard. A plus. There you go. Three A-pluses for The Shining. Glad we finally had this conversation. It's been long overdue, and uh, it's one of the great movies of all time. Thanks for listening. Please become a VIP. Please leave us a five-star review, a nice review. Maybe tell a friend if you liked what you heard, you learned something. Maybe you got a laugh out of the episode, something like that. We really appreciate the positive feedback, if and when you guys want to give it to us. Thank you. Maybe, hopefully, we'll see you soon at the same